Hi, my name is Joshua Lingle, and in this session, we're going to be discussing actually one of my favorite subjects, which is textual criticism of the Quran. Textual criticism of the Quran. Uh, this is an important subject to me because when I first met my first Muslim when I was 18 years of age and uh, at the University of Washington, he really challenged me that our Bible had been corrupted, that there were missing things within our texts and that uh, within the biblical texts and that, uh, that uh, therefore I needed to trust the Quran because it was perfect without any error and, uh, and it was uh, uh, miraculous for that nature or for that reason. <clears throat> um, in this session, we're going to talk about textual criticism of the Quran. Um, we will investigate the historical and archaeological evidence we have. Uh, when I uh, was at the University of London at the School of Oriental and African Studies, <clears throat> I actually wrote my, my thesis on this subject, textual criticism of the Quran. And uh, so it's a subject that I enjoy and uh, hope it will be beneficial to you. We're going to investigate the different manuscripts. We're going to look at the archaeological evidence we have. And we're going to become archaeologists and textual critics of the Quran. For those of you who don't know what archaeology is, it is this. It's the study of human cultures through analyzing materials which have remained from that culture. Textual criticism of the Quran is the exploration of the earliest manuscripts that do exist of the Quran for looking at variances and errors and, and amendations and issues that are related to their texts. We're going to study Islam by looking at some of the historical remains throughout the centuries and from that culture. Again, the reason it's so important to have such a robust critique of the Quran is, as many of us have experienced, in every discussion that we get into with Muslims, sooner or later, it's going to lead back to the question of revelation. Whether it's on the Trinity, whether it's on the Sonship of Jesus Christ, whether it's on the history of Christianity versus that of Islam, the social agendas, the violence, the scientific understandings, and so on, irregardless what the subject you're going to have to deal with, you're going to have to come back to this question of the Bible or the Quran. What does it say about those subjects? You're going to have to come back to the Quran. You're going to have to come back to the Bible. And invariably, Muslims are going to throw challenges at, your, at the Bible and at these questions about our scriptures. So we have to have a substantial answer to those questions that they're trying to challenge about the authority of our scriptures, but we also need to have a substantial polemic in order to eradicate the authority for theirs. And of course, on the biblical question, we have uh, Josh McDowell and Jay Smith and others that will come and address the uh, biblical archaeology and manuscripts in later sessions in their courses. So let's start with the artifacts Muslims say they have in museums they have throughout the Muslim world that substantiate the text and the stories that are actually within the Quran. As you remember, there's 25 biblical prophets that are actually mentioned in the Quran and three Arab prophets. And so they have people like Noah and Abraham and Moses, Jesus, and others uh, like that. So when we go to museums, what we'll find is, the first thing we find is a, a stone bearing the mark of the prophet Muhammad's foot. Well, that's, that's nice. Uh, you can actually see what his foot would have impression would have looked like. Also, there are, uh, secondly, there's a pair of shoes of the prophet that you can find uh, in Istanbul. You can find these uh, at the Topakapi Palace, and you'll see the prophet's shoes, and you can compare your shoe size with him, perhaps. There's also the prayer mat of the prophet there in the Topakapi Palace. There's also, fourthly, one of the prophet's arrows, or the cooking pot of Noah. There you can see uh, where Noah would have cooked in, in his cooking pot. There's also a cooking pot of Abraham, or the sword of David, or the shirt of Joseph. And so you find all of these different uh, uh, items that are found that Muslims are saying are historical, do go back to these people historically. Of course, we don't believe that. But you also have next to them a manuscript, a manuscript of the Quran written by Ali ibn Abu Talib, the fourth caliph of the Muslims. And 
you find what's called the Uthmanic recension of the Quran, a manuscript of the Quran that was written out under the Caliph Uthman. Now, of course, it's very difficult to believe that they have the cooking pot of Noah or Abraham, since cast iron was not produced until 550 BC, long after the time of Abraham. But it's interesting that these items are in Muslim museums. Again, we're trying to understand the, the Muslim worldview. We're trying to understand the way they see the world and how they historicize it. We're trying to, to look through their eyes. And here we also see that there are these manuscripts of the Uthmana Quran that Muslims claim they have. They claim are perfect and are the exact same Qurans as we have all over the world. They will say that these Qurans prove the Quran today is the same. The Islamic scholar, uh, Malana Maududi, uh, one of the writers and creators of modern Pakistan, says this about the Quran. The Quran, which is now in use all over the world, is the exact copy of the Quran, which was compiled by the order of Hadrat Abu Bakr, the first caliph of the Muslims, and copies of which were officially sent by the Hadrat Uthman, the third caliph of the Muslims, to different places. Even today, many very old copies are found in the big libraries in different parts of the world, and if anyone has any doubt as to whether the Quran has remained absolutely safe and secure against every kind of change and alteration, he can compare any copy of the Quran with any of these copies and reassure himself. End quote. Another scholar, uh, von, Den von Denfer, says this, quote, Two of the copies of the Quran, which were originally prepared in the time of the Caliph Uthman, are still available to us today. And their text and their arrangements, and their arrangements, this is important because as we'll see later, the surah arrangements are different in some of the Quranic manuscripts that we find. So you see, their texts and their arrangements can be compared by anyone who cares to with any other copy of the Quran, be it in print or handwriting from any place or period of time, and they will be found to be identical. Is that clear to you? Seems clear to me. Well, two internet sites, uh, Muslim internet sites, have this to say about the oldest copies of the Quran. Quote, a scholar who is seriously interested in the study of the original copies of the Quran can go to the mu museum of the Topa copy and the Cairo museums and compare the original copies with, of the Quran with, uh, which is recited today by over one billion Muslims. These copies are the authentic and the oldest copies of the Quran in the world. Preservation of the Quran, California.org. The second site says this, that, quote, of the, of the copies made by Uthman, two still exist in our day. One is the city of Tashkent in Uzbekistan, and the second one is in Istanbul in Turkey, the Topakopi manuscript. So this was said by Sabil Ahmed, who was the former student of the apologist Ahmed Vidat. Now let's go back to the 7th century to the Middle East and see what we come up with. Remember what Muslims will say, uh, the Quran was compiled in 650 AD, they say, by the Caliph Uthman and Zayda bin Tabit. And in the Hadith it says that Uthman had it rewritten by Zayda bin Tabit and that he then burned all the copies of the manuscripts that were uh, from different uh, compilers, but had only four copies made and sent those to four metropolitan cities, to Basra, to Damascus, to uh, Baghdad, and to Medina. Now, if this were so, then we should expect to have one of, the four, of these, those four copies, shouldn't we? Many Muslims know that four copies were made, and what the Muslims will tell you is that, yes, they do exist, and we do have them, and they're in our hands today. One of the copies is called the Samarkand Manuscript, as just mentioned. They'll say that, the, that this is actually an Uthmanic original. This is the actual manuscript that goes back to the Caliph Uthman and that is the one that he had made. But there's a problem. When we actually look at this manuscript, as scholars have studied this out, many parts of this manuscript are actually missing. Uh, out of the 114 surahs uh, today of this Quran, only surahs 2 to 43 are actually included in the manuscript, so it's not complete. Some of the pages in the manuscript are neatly uniform, while others are untidy and they're imbalanced. And because so many pages of the manuscript differ from one another, uh, the assumption is that it's actually a compilation of portions of different manuscripts. So it's a, it's a compilation text. 
if this is a, an Uthmanic original, then the Muslims are faced with many problems. But it's not, and we know this by the script it's written on. But before we get into the script analysis and how we can actually date these Qurans and know what time period they're from, uh, Muslims will say they have other uh, of the four originals. The second of the uh, manuscripts that is claimed to be an Uthmanic recension or an Uthmanic original is from the Topakopi Museum in Istanbul, in Topakopi Palace, and I've been there several times. Um, this is one of the originals. Now, if you, if you can take a look at the manuscript, I can show it to you right here. And in this manuscript, you can see to an untrained eye, it possibly looks very old. It looks authentic, it's a beautiful looking manuscript. But if you look carefully, you, you'll eventually see you know, on this manuscript that there are blood stains upon the manuscript that you're looking at right there. You see the Uthman, uh, the Caliph Uthman, was assassinated while he was actually reading this Quran. So according to tradition, the blood splattered and spilled out onto the pages while he was, uh, while he was reading it. In the museum, it actually describes all of this on the card below the manuscript. And Muslims claim that because you can see the blood of Uthman on its pages, that it must be one of the originals. Well, most people have, have not, may not have any problem with that, but as we and as other scholars look at this around the world, uh, we see that there's a problem, especially with this manuscript. In fact, there's a problem with both of these manuscripts that you see. Uh, when you look at the script that is written on these manuscripts, when you look specifically, most people don't notice anything about it that's different. Even if you read Arabic, the script may not look wrong but in fact, it's written in the wrong script. Both of these manuscripts are written in what's called the Kufic script, or the Abbasid script, according to Dr. Desroches in France. The easiest way to identify the Kufic script is that it has these very long lines. There's these majuscules, or you can see the difference between each of the letters in the words, that there are extension in these majuscules, like you can see in the picture here to the right. There are these long lines between the majuscules and the Arabic script, and the long lines mean that it is a Kufic script. That's how you identify it. Um, now, the script, the Kufic script, was named after a city in Kufa, Iraq, and it's just south of Baghdad. The city of Kufa was actually a Persian city before the Muslim conquest in 678 AD. Now, it's attributed to there, it's not necessarily from there, but that's where you know, scholars have, have attributed at least to the, that area at that time, and, and it's taken on uh, that name. But that's the attribution. Thus Arabic would, uh, uh, remember that the, the city of Kufa was a Persian city. Remember that during the Muslim conquest, uh, right after the time of Muhammad, they conquested up and took over those areas uh, in, in Baghdad and so on especially in 678 AD. This Arabic would not have been the predominant language there at the time of Uthman, because uh, he would have been around 650 AD uh, uh, when they created these Qurans and so on. So the Persian language would have been predominant in the language prior to the conquest of Arabia, uh, of the Arabs over that, that land. So how could this Quran be written in a, Kufa, in a Kufic script in Arabic at Uthman's time if the people only spoke Persian in those areas? And why would Arabs be actually using a Persian script in order to write it in Arabic? It wouldn't make any sense. So a uh, Kufic script of the, of the Quran is written in Arabic or written in Arabia would have looked very different. Yet Muslims claim that this is the Quran, which was authentic. It was an authentic Quran. It was written in a script coming out of the city of Kufa. Uh, it would have been, have been written just 10 years later in Medina, according to the Uthmanic story. Again, if this is really the Uthmanic copy of the Quran, then that would mean that the Persians learned Arabic and that they then wrote the Quran in their own script. Then they would have sent the Quran to Mecca and then the Meccans and Uthman uh, chose the Persian copy as the eternal word of God. But that doesn't make any sense. These were the Arabs that had taken control, and so it would have been in the Arab script. 
Now, if the Samarkand and the Tope copy manuscripts were really Uthmanic copies, they should have been written in what is called the, uh, today the Hijazi or Ma'il script, the Hijazi script. Now, the Hijazi script was being used in Mecca at that time of Uthman. It was the one script which we would expect to find from the Arabs. And it's that script which we should find in, uh, in the earliest Qurans written. So if you look to the left of me here, this is what the Hijazi script actually looks like. And so it's much more, doesn't have the long majuscules, but it's much more uh, uh, jettisoned upside down and in, in, in much less uh, formal in style and extended in its length. Now, the Mayal script was developed in Medina and in Mecca, and this Hijazi script came into use in the seventh century and is easily identified because it was written at that slight angle. You can see it to the right here. It's more horizontal in form and can be distinguished by its, its cursive and leisurely style. Uh, the script was used for two centuries before it was no longer used. And so Kufic looks more broad with, with wide letters, which you can see to the left here. Uh, whereas the Arabic Ma'il script is slanted with more of a cursive style. So if the Topakopi uh, manuscript and the Samarkand manuscripts of the Quran had been compiled at this time in the 7th century, then we'd expect to have been written in the Hijazi script, not the Kufic script. So why are these Qurans even written in these Persian scripts? Well, they are old, but they're not old enough to be the originals going back to the Caliph Uthman. The Kufic script actually did not even reach its perfection until the late 8th century. And then it became widely used in the Muslim world. Then it makes sense why. After the Persians uh, were conquered by the Muslims, they converted to Islam. In 750 AD, the Persian Muslims, called the Abbasids, were actually in control of the Islamic world and that the Islamic world had, shift, had shifted from, uh, into the Abbasid uh, Empire uh, as opposed to the early Umayyad Empire. So their headquarters were actually located in Kufa, Iraq. Back in those days, they didn't have radio or newspaper, no CNN or Fox News or anything like that to declare who was in power. So they used the scripts in order to communicate who was in power. So the Abbasids used the Persian script and took that script and put it on all the manuscripts and all the coins and told who was in power. And they wanted the Islamic world to know that they had dominated this area now. So it would make sense that we would find a Kufic script document on the Topakopi Museum, but they not only wrote Qurans in the Kufic script, but they also made coins. And coins are a great way to let people know that you're in control. They, they go everywhere, they don't disintegrate, and they're great historical evidence for analyzing scripts. They look great for analyzing scripts, and you can see some of these coins to the right here. And this is why. A coin has the script on it, but also has dates. So from the coin, we can know at what time a particular script was used. And then, when you compare the script on that coin, you can then take the script on your manuscript to the left here, and you can compare the two and see that they are identical scripts, and that the same writers are likely generating the coins and the manuscripts. And that makes sense. And that's how historians date coins and how they date manuscripts and so on. That's one of the ways, is looking at the script. So the way we can know the dates of scripts from the Quranic manuscripts is because of these coins. And we have these coins today, and I could take you to the second floor of the British Museum, to room number 68, and if we went to panel number 12, I could show you where there's some interesting, interesting coins on display there. We can see that the first original Arabic coins, um, they are the oldest coins that are from the Sufiani period. After Muhammad had died, you remember that his companions began to rule the Muslim community. They were called the caliphs, remember Abu Bakr and Omar, Uthman and Ali. And after these caliphs, a group called the Umayyads came into power in 660 AD. Ma'awiyah was the first caliph and he has a coin on display there as well. 
In fact, you can turn to the right here and you can see the coins of Ma'uiah, and you can see that on these coins, there are actually images of Ma'uiah or others. Uh, some people say that it's, uh, it was uh, early Christian hymnodies and uh, uh, pictures of Jesus on the coins. But most people say that these are Ma'uiah that, uh, that were on these coins, and they show their image there um, on, on the coins early on. Early on, when we look at these coins, we see that they have no writing on them. They have no script. And instead of having scripts or writings on them in Arabic, what we see is they have these images. But this is all very strange because Muslims are not permitted in their theology to actually have images. Remember, uh, because of the issues of iconoclasms and things with the, with, the, with the early churches, they were rejecting images uh, from uh, from in the, uh, in the Arabic, uh, uh, with the Muslims in the Arabic language. Remember, Muhammad in the stories of the Sirah was fighting the pagan Meccans because of idolatry. Well, that's where this theology could have come in regarding images. And that's what Muslims will tell us. And that's why they're allowed to, uh, are not allowed to have the, any images or pictures of Muhammad. So what are Muslim rulers doing on Muslim coins early on? In the earliest Arabic coin, or the earliest Muslim coins, why do we find these images? So you can already see that there's something wrong with their theology. But perhaps early on, Muslims did not believe the images were wrong at all, and that this was an example of evolution in the Islamic theology. And in fact, all of the early history of Islam is an evolution from 632 all the way up to 923, where we finally see Islam solidify of what we would actually think Islam looks like today. It wasn't until the time of the Islamic ruler of Abdul Malik in 685 to 705 that we see all the images removed from these coins. Abdul Malik is the one who built the beautiful building in Jerusalem called the Dome of the Rock uh, in 691 AD. He also had the first Islamic coins made with no images on them. It was probably around this time that the theology related to images and iconoclasms uh, related to the church or to the early pagans uh, with Muhammad and idolatry when it actually came to begin in, to come into play. Muslims must not have any images related to God. So Abdul Malik's coins have no images, but it does have words. On it is written the Shahada, which is the Muslim declaration of faith. Um, there is uh, only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And we look at the script and we see that it's not the same script as the chronic manuscripts in the Samarkand and Topocopy museums. The coin does not have the Persian Kufic scripts on it. There are no long lines between the majuscules. In fact, the words on the coin are in a Hijazi script, the script you'd expect. And that makes sense because at the time of Abdul Malik in 685, the Kufic script was not used yet. And it was used much later. And so once again, this co these coins show us that if the Qurans the Muslims say they have today did not date back to the time of Uthman, then they should, not have been in the, they should be in the same script as the coins and the Hijazi script. They should be in a Hijazi script and they're not. But the later Kufic script is what we find on all of the Qurans that Muslims will claim is the Uthmanic recension of the Quran. And it is the Kufic script that we find the letters that are said to have been written by Muhammad, though, it's, though he's also claimed to be an illiterate man. And the script on all these documents that Muslims say come from the 7th century don't even appear on the coins until the 8th century. When I challenged a professor in Islamic studies on this subject uh, at Stanford University when I was sharing the gospel uh, with one of the Orthodox Sunni Muslims there. He was told, I, I told him this argument about these Qurans and they're written in a different script, and he recognized that issue immediately. He, he asked, he said, these are in a Kufic script? And I said, yeah. He said, they couldn't be seventh century Uthmanic original. And I said, that's right. You can't have a, a Quranic, an Uthmanic recension of the Quranic text in a Kufic script when Kufic script doesn't exist in 7th century Arabia, it wasn't used as the primary script there. So you don't have the, uh, uh, you would expect to have the Hijazi. 
So why is this so important? Why am I spending time on this? Because for Muslims, these historical artifacts prove their story is true. But when we do the work of an archaeologist and do textual studies of the scripts and do script analysis, we see that these artifacts do not prove their history. In fact, they are 100 or more years after the story actually took place, but they're prescribing them back on the time of Uthman. They're redacting it back on the time of Uthman. Now, there's one more piece of evidence that shows us that the late dates of these manuscripts, it's the format in which they're written. And due to the elongated styles of the Kufic script, these manuscripts uh, are written on paper, which is, wider than it, that, which is wider than it is tall. And this wider paper format is actually borrowed from Syriac, the Syriac language, and Iraqi Christian documents of the 8th and 9th centuries. The, early Arabic, the earliest uh, Arabic manuscripts were all written in an upright format. Therefore, we can see that even the format shows that these documents were written much later than Muslims say. So we can confidently say, because of the script and the format, that the Samarkand and the Topocopy manuscripts would not have been written earlier than 150 years after the Uthmanic recension of the Quranic text was su supposedly created. Yet, Muslims are claiming that these are the Qurans that go back to Uthman. They are the Uthmanic originals. Now, what you can do as Christians is, now that you know about how to date scripts, is you can say, okay, wait a minute, prove that, show us. How do we know that these go back to the time of Uthman? There's no dates on them. Where do we know for sure that what you're saying is true? You, cannot, uh, you can now go back and show them because of these coins and these formats and the scripts and so on that you can actually date the Qurans and you know this uh, better than, than, than perhaps they do. The fact is that we don't have any of uh, the Quranic manuscripts at all, for sure, from the 7th century Arabia. Now, what I want to turn is to textual criticism of the Quran. And in the rest of the session, I want to familiarize, familiarize you with Quranic manuscripts and the different types of textual variances that are in them. We will also look at what these uh, Quranic variations tell us about the history of the Quran and its supposed perfect status amongst Muslims. The main thing to know is that there are lots and lots of textual variances in the Quranic manuscripts, the earliest ones. And for a book that claims to have none in existence, and with Muslim scholars and Muslims all over the world attacking the Bible, saying uh, uh, that it's corrupted because it has textual issues in it, uh, and in its, ex in, in, ex in its existence, uh, any variants that do exist in the Quran are not acceptable and demonstrate the lack of divine protection falsifying the Quran. So what is a manuscript? Um, a manuscript is something written or copied by hand. Remember, before uh, the invention of the printing press, all books were hand copied. Just as with the history of any religious text, the history of um, the Quran, the Quranic text, involves a number of problems. Dr. Arthur Jeffrey, writing in 1937 in his book, Materials for the History of the Quranic Text, rightly stated that today we hold a Quran which is not a facsimile of the earliest Quran, but a text which is the result of various processes of alteration as it passed down from generation to generation in transmission within the community. Consequently, the text we hold today has a history. Today's copies are not only written in a different script, but they also contain points and vowel signs. For example, if you take a look here, this is a, an example of the 1924 text from Cairo. And all Qurans that you see today, hundreds of millions of them that are produced around the world, are based off a 1924 text from Egypt. Now, that's a problem for us as Christians, because for us, we go back to the 5,600 manuscripts of the Bible, certainly the 230 that predate the, the, the Quran, in order to construct our New Testament and to have a reliable text uh, for our New Testament documents. But 
Muslims here are basing the Qurans they have off a 1924 text. So hundreds of millions of copies that are being produced from Saudi Arabia are based off of a Hoff's reading of this 1924 text from Cairo. So we're going to assess this and look at, uh, look at it as it compares to all the other earliest manuscripts that do exist from the 8th and 9th century. The older Qurans lack a vast majority of the short vowels and dots above and below the Arabic consonantal text called the Razm. So uh, if you take a look at the Quran here, you can see that uh, above these, uh, the Razm, which is the consonantal text, there are what are called Fata short vowels, Fata Damakasra. And if you, if you have a, a, a short vowel over or below the text, It'll either be an ah sound or an e sound or an oo sound, and so it's a short, uh, short vowel sound, which almost all of these are missing in the earliest Quranic texts. They only come about much later. In fact, you can't find one Quran that's the same for 324 years after the time of the Prophet Muhammad uh, that's consistent with the Quran we have for the 1924 text, and I'll, and I'll show you why here in a moment. So these older Qurans that have the short vowels, or that are missing the short vowels and, and, the, uh, and the dots, um, these are one kind of a textual variant found in the Quran, which there's evidence for today. For the sake of this session, variant will be taken to mean any difference at all uh, among manuscripts or traditions of manuscripts uh, of the Quran. And that is, uh, that is if manuscript A has all of the same pr textual properties as manuscript B, then A is identical to B. But if B has any textual properties uh, that are different from A, then A and B are variant manuscripts. If anything's different from the manuscripts, they're variant. Very simple. Textual variants are not unusual to find in holy books. Uh, every holy book of every major religion has them. What's surprising is the lack of awareness regarding these variations within the Quranic text among Muslims and Muslim scholars today. And this is, this is likely due to Islam's theological views that surrounding the inimitability and the perfection of the Quran. Material evidence of the Quran in textual variants can be seen in many of the early manuscripts we have today. In the quotations of the Quranic text in the Hadith, as well as the early commentators, uh, the grammatical and philological works, and other kinds of Arabic Islamic literature. Admitting to a, a variant of, of the Quran stands in stark contrast with the, uh, with the uh, prevailing Orthodox Muslim view today. I've heard and read Muslim scholars and regular Muslims on the street claiming again and again that their revelations have been preserved precisely as given to the prophet with not so much as a single vowel or punctuation mark having been changed or lost. One source correctly points out that for many throughout history, quote, the claim of the Quran in Islam is perfection and preservation by divine decree. Allah absolutely protects it in a text which is only valid if it is preserved for all time, a multitude of divergences, or any, is unforgivable." End quote. Indeed, this uh, sentiment is clear in the writings of the modern Islamic theologians. For example, Malana Maududi, again, quote, "...the Quran contains the word of God, in it is preserved the divine revelation, unalloyed by human interpolation of any kind, and affected by any change or loss to the original." End quote. Later in the same work, he writes this, that the Quran, the book he gave to mankind, exists in the original text without a word, listen, without a syllable, or without even a letter having been changed, end quote. So that's the view. Malana uh, Muhammad Ali also affirmed the preservation of the Quran, where he says, quote, among all the religious books of the world, the Holy Quran is the only book which enjoys the distinction of having a pure text. Every word and letter of the book as we have it today is as it left the lips of the holy prophet Muhammad to whom the book was revealed. And it is for this reason that through all the, through all the centuries since, it was revealed that among all the Muslims from east to west, among the numerous contending sects, there is only one Quran. And the most often cited verse 
on the subject of the Quran uh, is Surah 15, Ayah 9. It says, quote, It is we, Allah, who has sent down the reminder, the Quran, and we verily will guard it, end quote. And again, quote, in Surah 18, Ayah 27, also in Surah 10, Ayah 15, it says, quote, And recite that, uh, 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 recite what has been revealed to you, O Muhammad, of the book of your Lord. None can change his words, and none will you find as refuge other than him, end quote. So here we have the proofs of, for the dogma saying that the Quran is unchanged and unchangeable, and as we have it in hand in the printed versions. There are many different types of Qurans and Quran manuscripts that scholars study today. Uh, and handwritten copies of the Quran and pages from the first centuries of Islam are available to scholars in greater numbers today than ever before. I think I can uh, say that within the last five to ten years uh, that this kind of lecture would have been impossible to actually present to you because it's only been in the last uh, ten or, or so years uh, that we and others, uh, friends of mine and scholars, have been participating in textual issues of the Quran. The, uh, this is partly due to some very key archaeological finds of recent uh, decades such as the huge stockpiles of retired Qurans found during the renovation of uh, an ancient mosque in Sana, Yemen. Uh, you can see that mosque uh, over here, uh, this mosque in Yemen. And in this picture, you'll see that the roof structure where uh, these Quranic manuscripts were actually found, and these are actually some of the oldest manuscripts of the Quran that in existence. Early manuscripts are very important because they are hard physical evidence. Uh, tradition, uh, traditions that are written, for example, in books of history can tell us part of the story, but uh, may have biased views in various ways, or the author may not actually have known the whole story. And that's why looking at manuscripts really helps us to improve our understanding of that history, confirming some particular details and denying or modifying others. You know, the, the scholars that were brought in, because nobody could actually read these early manuscripts, uh, because the normal uh, Arab, even though they can read Arabic in the modern, uh, uh, modern, uh, modern Arabic, with all the dots and the vowels and so on, they cannot read these earliest Qurans. So they brought in uh, German scholars in order to uh, actually look at these Qurans of the Sana manuscripts. One of them is my very good friend, Dr. Gerard Puin, who I've known for for uh, many, many, many years. And Dr. Garrett Puin was brought in to look at the Asana manuscripts and took uh, tens of thousands of pictures of these manuscripts to assess, and in them he was able to see the variations. He, Dr. Garrett Puin, and Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth Puin, have provided me uh, very kindly with all these pictures for you to see the variants as they exist. So, um, here is the, the page from the 1924 text, and um, here is the topocopy manuscript from Istanbul in a Kufic strip in the 9th century. You'll notice uh, in the 1924 text with all the vowels, the short vowels up, and down, uh, up on the top and below the consonants that are there, and you'll also notice that there are dots. There's two dots below, or there's a dot above, and so on, and that actually helps you distinguish between what the consonant is. So you may have a, uh, six different uh, meanings or different sounds that a, word, a, a letter can make if it's dotted differently. So you could have uh, three dots above uh, a line which says the tha, or you could have a dot below uh, or above which is a ba or a noon. And so depending on how you dot, it could be a ba, a ta, a tha, a noon, and so on, and different sounds uh, can come out as a result of the dotting. So dotting and voweling is very important, whether it's an a, an e, an u, in the short vowels, or if the, uh, you can get some uh, seven or eight different variations of a word just based on how you dot above or below the lines and give the short vowels. So dotting is very important in order to clarify what the words actually mean. In our previous lectures on the Quran, we actually went through that and how 
the, uh, the, the meanings of the sentences can actually change in about eight different references with the same consonantal text dotted differently. So here's the, here's the topocopy manuscript from Istanbul, and that's in the Kufic script. It's that elongated script. You can see different manuscripts. And again, we're comparing that 1924 text with the, early, uh, the earliest texts that do exist. Uh, you can see this, the same text as the, uh, as the topocopy above as it appears in the Istanbul manuscript here. Now, what you should notice is that this particular manuscript, as with all the earliest manuscripts of the Quran, does not have, uh, it does not have the marks above or below the letters that will tell us, uh, tell us which letter it is or what vowels they're to be pronounced with each of the consonants. You just see the, the consonants there. These marks were added in at a later time, and thus they were enhancements to their, uh, to the, in their own right, but were not part of the original text. Now, you also see over here is the Hijazi uh, text. It's that, those earlier texts in the Kufi texts. Uh, it's from the British Library. That's a 2165. This photo uh, uh, comes from there. And there you can see that early Hijazi script that's there. Now, I want to talk about palimpsest. What is a palimpsest? That's not a, a word we normally talk about. And uh, a palimpsest is a manuscript in which what was originally written has actually been washed off. And the writing material, it's usually a parchment, or part of a book, a parchment, has been reused to produce another written document. Many palimpsests of the Quran have texts underneath that can be read with the naked eye. The chemicals of the original ink, uh, markings remain embedded in the pores of the parchment. They've reacted over the centuries to make a pronounced shadow, so you can, you can see the writing underneath. Dr. Puin uh, gave me this picture of a manuscript here for you to see. The use of ultraviolet uh, light is sometimes helpful to further enhance these manuscripts and to make the readings underneath the text even easier to see. And here's what the UV here, uh, enhanced image of a manuscript, looks like. Sometimes in manuscripts, scholars can see, uh, can see the attempts were made to correct the earlier text before the whole thing was washed and rewritten. Here, for example, is a, a spot on a palimpsest where the earlier text was actually corrected. There's a, a smaller nib, which is actually where uh, the beginning of writing happens, the, a nib, uh, on the image where you can see uh, that it's corrected but was then washed off, and the entire page was rewritten completely at some later time. I'm thankful to Elizabeth Quinn for that. Now, here's another example of an earlier text that was first corrected or altered, and then completely washed off and overwritten. The two faded lines uh, say, Bikuf Rihim, and which means uh, for or in their disbelief, and Indalaha, he mu sad ikun, which means with or in the possession of Allah confirming. The point of showing these pictures is to emphasize that changes or corrections or otherwise have been made to the Qurans after they've been written. In some cases, the alteration to the earlier text involves a single letter, like that of an aleph or a ya. Corrections are, are seen on many sheets of the manuscripts. Of the, of the Quran. In most cases, these corrections consist of erasing text or adding text over the line, or if spaces exist between existing words or letters. Alterations can involve letters, single words, or whole lines or more in the Quranic manuscripts. This picture shows an extreme example in which the earlier text was severely reworked with most words or lines having been actually crossed or scratched out prior to washing and rewriting of the entire manuscript. Sometimes manuscripts will switch words or phrases within a verse. Uh, here, here is an example from Surah 9, Ayah 13. Again, we're talking about the fainter writing that can be seen underneath the text uh, below the later darker text. 
the 1924 Cairo text of the verse reads first, Wahamu, Bi'ik Rajil Rasuli, followed by Wahum, Barukum, Awa La Maratin. Here's what it would look like. The blue color is the first phrase as it would be printed in a modern Quran, and the tan is the second phrase. But this earlier manuscript has these two phrases in the reverse order. Wahum, Badakum, Awa La Maratin, followed by Waha, Mubi'ik, Rajil Rasuli. This is a simple reversal of two parts of the sentence. It basically says this. It would be as if I said, and I got ready for work while they were eating breakfast, versus, and they were eating breakfast while I got ready for work. So the two mean, mean, the, the two mean roughly the same thing, but the order of the parts of the sentence are altered. So that's one kind of variant. Now this manuscript uh, you're seeing now is a, is a good example of where you can see the 1924 text side by side, the oldest Hijazi variants. The early manuscripts are filled with variations involving the long vowels, especially the Aleph. This page shows how some of these typical variations compared with the 1924 Cairo edition pasted in for comparison. All four of the highlighted words on this page show that today's version includes olives that are not in the words within this particular manuscript. Here's another image showing the omission of long vowels. This time the ya in the top two is the name Abraham. Now interestingly, this manuscript actually spells the name Abraham correctly like in the Bible and could be read Abraham rather than the less correct, but now standard Arabic, Ibrahim. In the last uh, example, uh, the word in the manuscript actually contains a long aleph where there is, no, there is not one at all today. Sometimes the palimpsests show additions of words that are not in today's Qurans. And sometimes words or phrases are omitted in the manuscripts that are included in today's Qurans. Sometimes words are substituted for other words of similar or completely different meanings. Uh, the following picture is an example of an additional word and particle, bilahi, uh, meaning to Allah, that is not in today's Quran. The substitution of one word for another, uh, for example, yuksimun'a, instead of today's yalifun'a, the words uh, the relative, are relative synonyms, synonyms uh, but both meanings mean to swear. Uh, the substitution of one particle for another, meaning ma, or negation, instead of today's in, meaning negation. So this is from uh, Surah 9, Ayah 107, and we're referring to the earlier text again, the more faint one, that starts in the left-hand side underneath the darker text. Sometimes the manuscripts also show words or substitutions that are not synonyms. Uh, you can see an excerpt, again, looking at the fainter and earlier writing from, verse, uh, from Surah 25, Ayah 18, that has the word Rabbana, quote, our Lord, in place of the 1924 Cairo edition, Subha Naka, may you be glorified. So both selections make sense in the context of the verse, but they obviously say different things. Sometimes verb forms and relative part, uh, part, particles appear in different forms from within the manuscripts. You can see an example from the verse Surah 9, Ayah 107, in which the form is plural. Lila fi nahar abu, to they who ward, both the relative particle, la fi na, and the verb ha abu are plural and thus different from today's text, which reads li man haraba to whoever ward in the singular. Now here's another example of uh, a variant, this time at verse Surah, uh, surah 9, Ayah 2, where today's text reads wahalu mu'ana kum gai rumu versus jilzil uh, lahi, and this phrase addresses a personal direct, uh, person directly in the imperative 
It says, quote, but know that you cannot escape from a law, end quote. The verse on the lighter earlier text of this palm says, however, reads this way, walaya lamuna ana hum gai ru mu ji zil lahi. This speaks of some other group of people in the third person plural, quote, but they know that they cannot escape from a law, end quote. So sometimes the manuscripts contains variations of particles. In the one above, again, speaking of the underlying uh, text, uh, Surah 9, Ayah 16 is written, beginning with the, inter- uh, um, inter- uh, uh, in the particle afa, which means and so, instead of today's text and the verse which begins am or do you. Both have similar but not perfectly identical meanings. Among the more interesting variants are the two that come from the same page of the ancient Qurans and are shown, shown here. This uh, first example shows uh, a spot at which the scribe forgot to put the word Allah in the text. So Allah is missing in the text. And so at some point uh, in, in time, most likely after the initial completion of the manuscript, that, that scribe or another came back and actually having realized this error, corrected the verse, adding the word Allah. So you can see it inserted in the text here. The example here, which is taken from the bottom of the coinage, shows that an entire phrase from Surah 9, Ayah 80, was actually left out from this manuscript. The verse as written here goes directly from lahum, which means to them or for them, to lanyagfir, which means will not forgive, omitting the phrase sabim mahra tanfa, which means 70 times so. And that is in the 1924 Cairo text, which is commonly accepted today. The place where uh, the words are absent are at the tip of the white arrow. You can see that there is no evidence of alteration of the text or later attempt at correction. Made it, the, it made it at this point. And it says, as if the scribe thought that this was the way the verse was supposed to be. And even the later readers or caretakers of the manuscript, which was clearly circulated, was corrected in at least one of the places, the word Allah, Allah was left out of a few lines above and then written in after the fact. They did not notice or think that it was a problem in this verse. And thanks to Dan Brubaker for uh, his scholarship and studies on that point. Our paper or, parch- paper or parchment is not the only material that's preserved evidences of Quranic verses. Coins and inscriptions uh, on buildings and monu- monuments can also shed light on the matter as we're discussing. The earliest coins, as well as the earliest inscriptions on the Dome of the Rock, which was built about 60 years after the time of Muhammad's death, in Jerusalem, for example, are interesting in part for what they do not contain. Uh, the coins shown uh, on the front and back in these two pictures here, for example, was minted in Egypt in the year 92 AD. That's 92 years uh, after uh, Hydra, which is about 710 AD. It contains in its center, in the first picture, the entire text of Surah 112. Quote, Allah is one, all sufficient. He does not beget and he is not begotten. There is no one equal or comparable to him. Now, this is the reverse side of the same coin, and it contains in its center the phrase, quote, there is no God but Allah, which today we recognize as the first half of one of the important shahada. However, the second half, and Muhammad is the, his messenger, does not appear on the coin. So obviously the absence of an early reference of the prophethood of Muhammad in the early coins and the inscriptions do not necessarily mean that uh, the formula, no God but Allah and Muhammad is messenger, wasn't used at the time. But some scholars do take this physical material as evidence of a process of theological development in which the Shahada, the first pillar of Islam, uh, is, is actually missing and that Muhammad uh, is his messenger and so on was not completely established by that time. So what else do these palimpsests and other physical evidence tell us about the early forms of the Quran? Or what, for one thing, they tell us that the order of the surahs was not standardized. And there are significant uh, variations and differentiations in those surah orders, 
for example, when you look at the palimpsest, uh, it, it shows a variant in Sura orders. You can go to Sura 63, and after Sura 63, right in the middle of the page, as you can see, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have uh, Sura 62, and then followed directly by Sura 89. Another page uh, transitions directly from Surah 9 and skips 10 chapters to Surah 19. Another transitions from uh, Surah 15 to Surah 25. So here are two images of Surah transitions in manuscripts. Um, these two are not palimpsests, so these are actual physical uh, manuscripts, not washed off and rewritten. They're actual manuscripts that were of the Quran. This one ends in Surah 19 in the Sana manuscripts and skips Surah 20 and 21 and goes directly to the start of 22. Now, a normal text critic in the Bible, just because of the integrity, would come in and say, uh, if there's any variance, a word or something like that, that we would say not in this early manuscript or in all early manuscripts. So in the Quran, you would want to put... a uh, a footnote that would say something like that, that Surah 20 and 21 are missing in the earliest text of the Sana manuscripts. That would be normal for us. And that's the integrity for Christians, that we bring forth whatever issues are there are because we don't have the same view of inspirations that Muslims do, that they think it all needs to be perfect. For us, it is uh, the Son of God incarnate that is, in, that is perfect, uh, not necessarily uh, words or variations, things like that. And its message is uh, is clear, reliable, and the original manuscripts are perfect. But over time, in text, manuscripts uh, are transmitted, and we don't expect God to just preserve it all. But in these texts, what we're seeing is that there are variations of the Surah orders. For example, in this one, it uh, ends with Surah 67, uh, and then skips 68, 69, and 70, and goes directly to the start of Surah 71. So you can see that here in this manuscript uh, with thanks to Gerard Poin on that. Variant Surah orders, uh, although different from variations from the ones in Surah the manuscripts above, are mentioned in other classical Muslim sources. Um, the, it, it, what, what this shows us is that there's, the, there's a, a lot greater of Surah ordering which is being uh, switched around in the earliest Qurans. There's the man Ibn Masood, uh, his version was said to have gone directly from Surah 9 to 16, and from Surah 8 to 19, and from Surah 25 to 15, although one source says that uh, Ibn Masood's version omitted chapter 15 of the Quran altogether. It didn't even belong. Again, this is all in the Hadith and the traditional material. Uh, Ubay's version, Ubay ibn Qab, was said to have gone directly from Surah 9 to Surah 11, and then to 19 and from fi Surah 15 to Surah 42, and from either uh, Surah 58 or 52 to Surah 25, although one source says that Surah 25 was missing altogether. Thanks to Elizabeth Quinn for that. Now, what we find is that, as I mentioned in the Quran uh, lectures earlier, that between just four of those early writers, uh, when Arthur Jeffrey was studying out materials for the history of the Quranic text, you have Ubay ibn Qab, ibn Masud, Abu Musa, and Zaid ibn Tabit. And just between those four codices, they came up with 10 to 15,000 variations just between those four codices of the early Quran. And that's all pre-Uthmanic Qurans, if the traditions are true. Now, if you recall that many Muslims today will say that not a letter, not a dot, not a word has been changed in the Quran. The Quran that we, uh, was revealed to Muhammad 1,400 years ago, they say, is the same as the Quran we have today. These Muslims claim that the, this demonstrates the miraculous nature of the Quran and that Allah has protected his revelation. So as you can, you can see by now, the physical evidence does not support this claim at all. And even the Islamic traditions themselves disagreed with it. Their admission that the Quran actually was not perfectly preserved is clear. A woman by the name of uh, Abla Fideli also has been one of the sharpest scholars working uh, with old manuscripts of the Quran, this Italian scholar, through her research, she also shows that there have been changes between these old manuscripts and the st standard Quran used today. This woman, Fideli, gives the following seven types of variances 
uh, from the standard Quranic text that will serve as a good summary and conclusion for our section here. First, some of the oldest manuscripts have different sequences of the words in the manuscripts that she was looking at uh, from Fogg's Palimpsest uh, that, she had, that she was studying. There's an example found in Surah 5, Ayah 41, and I could give you the Arabic, but again, most of you wouldn't understand it. But there's a different sequence of words in this ancient manuscript when compared with the standard Quran, uh, which is not uh, insignificant. Uh, the second and third point is next there are things which are omitted and variations that change the context. Uh, Fideli, for example, notes that a missing phrase, a whole phrase from Surah 5, Ayah 42, actually alters the context, therefore the meaning of the rest of the verse. Fourthly, there are different words used in the older manuscripts as compared with that of the 1924 Cairo Quran. Fideli gives an example of Surah 5, Ayah 45. Fifthly, there are differences in how words are written. The variations we already mentioned above involving the long vowels, the aleph, the ya, in particular, are, are very common in the old Quran manuscripts. In many cases, the differences do not make that big of a difference in meaning, but in some cases, the presence or absence of a long aleph in the middle actually can change the form of a verb, you know, for example. Six, there are errors in corrections by the scribes who copied the Qurans. In various places, there are different words that have been erased and later corrected with a different pen and ink, for example, in Surah 5.3. Yeah, seventhly, there are explanations that have been added to the manuscripts. Uh, you know, so there's all these different vari uh, variations, and we must know that variations exist you know, within the Quran throughout every manuscript. In fact, I don't know one Quran that is identical for the th first 324 years of uh, Islam. I would be happy for any Muslim to show me that's the same as the 1924 text that we presently base all our manuscripts off of. I put out that challenge to all the Muslim scholars. Now, we ne must know that these variations exist also within the Bible manuscripts. Uh, these variations uh, have been used as a polemic by Muslim scholars to attack our scriptures and the authority of our belief, saying it's corrupted, it's tarif, and so on. But these variations are very limited, and although that subject's outside of what we're covering here, and Jay and some of the others cover that subject, you should know that the biblical uh, manuscripts and evidence is extremely strong and has stood up the heart to the harshest uh, scrutiny of the harshest crit crit uh, biblical criticism uh, that has existed for the last 200 years. Uh, 200, uh, hundreds of scholars uh, over the last uh, two centuries have participated in critiquing the Bible, and the Bible has come out clearly ahead. Though we believe that the Bible is the perfect word of God, we only say this about those Bible manuscripts that it was originally written on. And although there are variations in the later biblical manuscripts, the science of textual criticism allows scholars and Christians in almost every case to know with confidence what is being read is the correct one. In centuries past, people didn't have photocopy machines and the printing press. Uh, they did not, not come about until the 16th century. So, of course, the original copies of the Bible and the Quran had to be written by hand, and people make mistakes. The reason this is so important uh, to know in speaking with Muslims is that you'll find that they claim that they have a perfect book. And in fact, the claim is often made that all of the Qurans in the world are perfect and the same and therefore miraculous. It's the prophecy of Muhammad. But it should be clear from the materials we've discussed in this section that this is simply not the case, but that the oldest Quranic manuscripts do show differences. So now, when you're presented with such a claim from a Muslim, you should be able to challenge them and challenge them with that claim with confidence. You know, last evening I received a, an email from one of the Mission Muslim World University uh, students, the I-squared ministry students. And uh, they had written about how they had been going up uh, and spending time with different Iraqi Muslims, Sunni Muslims. And these Iraqi friends of theirs wanted them to have a meeting with a Muslim scholar. This Muslim scholar was an apologist that goes around America and trains uh, Christians, he's uh, from New York, trains, Christians, or trains Muslims to evangelize or do dawah with Christians and convert them to Islam. 
He said this man for two hours began to hammer him and very, very harshly and uh, began to attack his faith. And he just wanted to encourage me and write a letter of encouragement that after having gone through the training, that the Holy Spirit had used this, uh, this student to speak to them and to respond to absolutely every single claim that the Muslim apologist and scholar had raised with them and attacked him on. In fact, he said that his Iraqi friends, the Muslim friends, were even defending him, and they were going to uh, be having dinner and, and getting families together and moving forward with their relationships. I just want to assure you that as we study through these issues, it takes a little bit of time, but as we study through these issues and we get them in our mind, our soul, and our spirit, and we understand what's happening, and we're empowered by the Spirit of God to be a witness to the Muslim world, we can be effective and in one generation trade up an entire generation in order to finish the Great Commission amongst Muslims. Thank you very much.